of Acts chapter uh, 9. We're moving quite along through Acts, which, you know, I think is, is appropriate, you know. Uh, just read it, take it in, enjoy it, and learn from it, be inspired by God. So here's a brief synopsis to where we are up until now. Uh, basically, in Acts um, of, of recent, we've seen widespread persecution starting to hit the church. The focus of the persecution is in, in the city of Jerusalem, and that's in the surrounding areas. Um, the disciples then are now being dis- dissipated, dispersed, pushed through the area, um, you know, the wider area. Uh, and we saw a, f- a guy named Philip, and we were, I quite enjoyed seeing Philip's life um, and uh, the evangelist. And he made his way to the area of Samaria, which I probably could talk more about that the significance of that area, you know, you know, being the kind of, you know, those half-breed, you know, they're not, they're not really, truly, you know, God's people. They're a mixed group. And, of course, we all can, you know, know what it's like to be, you know, judged, you know, by your ethnicity or your background or whatever. But, but, but Philip was there, and God showed them grace. God showed them mercy. And, and they received the word, the preaching of the word, and, and profoundly and significantly enough, they were actually good enough to receive God and receive his Holy Spirit. So the apostles went, and they prayed for him, laid hands on him. And these, these mixed breed, these others, you know, the lowlifes, if you will, received God's Spirit just as much as everyone else was doing in Jerusalem. So that's kind of cool. Um, moving on, Philip then meets an Ethiopian, another ethnic Fella, you know the, the you know, and, and he's a diplomat, an Ethiopian diplomat, traveling. You know, he's actually on his way back home to Ethiopia, uh, and he's reading some scriptures. Uh, so, so Philip spends some time with him, and he starts pointing at how these scriptures he's reading in Isaiah refers to Jesus Christ, and so he starts telling him about the good news of Jesus Christ using scripture, which is good. We like that. You know, we use scripture to analyze all the good things that God has for us. Um, this man, um, this Ethiopian, he responds by faith, and he's baptized. And then Philip is, I didn't know what word to use to explain this phenomenon, so I'll use the word teleported. <laughs> Philip is then te- teleported. <laughs> I mean, the scripture uses some pretty funny words, to, but I'm like, okay, he teleported. To um, um, az- azotus, azotus, whatever you, however you pronounce it where he begins to preach all around the area as he travels to Caesarea. So he's traveling, he's telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where we are up until now. So we got a little bit of persecution, a whole lot of dispersion, dis- dis- dispersion you know, the, so the whole area is being reached by the gospel, a whole lot of gospel, a whole lot of Holy Spirit impacting people's lives. God's moving in really amazing ways, using people like Philip and whatnot, reaching different culture groups. So now we see in this new guy, well, we've seen him before, actually, in this next slide. Do you remember this guy? Saul. Good old Saul. Well, we're, gonna, we're, we're now going to be dealing with Saul. He's, he's kind of a new character to our Acts expose. 
Saul. We've only we've seen him briefly. If you remember in Acts 7, we saw him just so briefly, not in positive light either. Okay? So if you remember in Acts 7, this is when Stephen rebuked the Sanhedrin, and this is their response to this. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. Remember that na 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 argument or response? They all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. In other words, to kill him slowly but surely. Meanwhile, the witnesses lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So this is our first encounter with Saul in Acts 7. And here now is our second encounter with this fellow named Saul in Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, so here we see all these things happening. I just read in the last slide. All these wonderful things happening. But meanwhile, this Saul fellow was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Persecution, right? He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. It's not enough to kill the Christians in Jerusalem. I want to go to Damascus and kill the Christians there, too. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's, a, that's what the church was originally referred as, the way, because they were saying that Jesus is the way. And they didn't like that because they didn't like Jesus. And he didn't like the fact that he was being considered the Lord or the Messiah, the way. So they would call the Christians originally the way. And so we want to go and put a stop to the way, whether they be men or women. Um, He wants to take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem and ultimately probably execute them. So more about what was going on with Saul at this time is found in other portions of scriptures, like in Galatians 1.13, where it says this, For you have heard of my previous ways, a previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecute the church. So he was, he, he, he was zealous in this way, the way of life, the way in his, his, in his upbringing, you know, astute student in, in Judea, um, in Judaism, he was intensely persecuting the church of God, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism, okay? So he was astute, he was advancing, he was a, he was a good you know, Jewish scholar, beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous. The word zealous is a word he likes to use to describe himself. Zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Next slide. And we're going to read a couple more verses. There's one of Philippians 3, which again describes, you know, how he was like at this time. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law. Faultless. So here he was, again, you know, a man who was a legalist, if you will. He lived according to the law, and he lived according to the law really well as far as, you know, our ability to live by law is concerned. A Pharisee, he was true. It's like an exodus right now. Is everyone leaving? It is a max exodus. You know, he was good. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know. He was, um, but also at the same time, because of his zeal for that, he saw a need to persecute the church put it into it. In 1 Timothy 1, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. So he was a blasphemer speaking, you know, out falsely against God and his chosen one, Jesus. He was a persecutor, persecuting men and women and violent. 
violent. Next slide. So, so here we now see Saul on his way with that letter, on his way to Damascus to continue his path of violence and persecution. And something interesting happens. And let's just read it. In Acts 9.3, he says this, as he neared Damascus, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Said, Saul said, or Saul asked rather. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So something strange happens. He has this like stroke kind of situation. It's like bright light, this intense thing happening to him. It's just like sudden phenomenon, this encounter with God. Unexpected, undeserved, unprovoked. You know what I'm saying? You know, he wasn't preached first and then experience happened. God said, I'm going to get you, boy. And I'm going to use my way, which is quick and sudden sometimes. So, and, and, and then here's Saul. He, he sees this as a, a, something happening that's God. God's interacting his life in a really bizarre way, you know, a unique way. And he says, so who are you? And, he, and Jesus answers him. It's me. It's Jesus. You know exactly who I am. You're persecuting me. <sighs> no, you need to get up and you need to go to that city where you're, going, where you're heading to. And then I'm going to tell you what you got to do. So... You know, sometimes when we encounter God, he gives us instructions and we have to choose to obey or disobey the Lord. Uh, here, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that Saul starts, this is a, an incredible change in his life. And before, he, you know, he thought he was following God. He wasn't. He was rejecting God. He was resisting God. But now that God says, okay, listen, Saul, you need to pay attention. You need to obey me. And by the way, I'm the Lord and I'm Jesus Christ. So you need to obey me. You go into the city and you need to wait and stay put. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change your life. And so in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. What's going on with you, mate? They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So again, you know, they didn't have the same experience as Saul had, but they kind of can get a something's happening. Something's going on. They can hear some kind of conversation, but they're not seeing what Saul's seeing and they're not blinded like Paul's blinded. So they're... So they're not really understanding what's happening here. But Saul, he's, he's, this is his experience. This is his conversion. So what does he do? He gets up from the ground. But he opens his eyes physically, but sees nothing. They led him then by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. I think it's significant. It wasn't just a quick little thing. That was like, well, maybe I just got, you know, dazzled, dazzled by the sun. You know what I'm saying? But dazzled by the sun. Because, you know, it's, it's a hot place, hot region. The sun's bright. So if it was a quick little, like, five-minute thing, well, let's just excuse it off. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just, I just got, you know, the sun got in my eyes. And I was a little bit, woof. Maybe I had a low blood sugar. I don't know. But no, but this is three days of blindness. So this is three days of him sitting there thinking about things. Talking about the ultimate, like, naughty chair. You know what I'm saying? Three days sitting there blind to think about what's, what, what, what you've been doing and what's going on right now. Next slide. And yeah, this other fella. Now, put yourself in this guy's shoes, Ananias. Ananias, rather. And that's why I titled this slide, You Want Me to Do What, Lord? 
Because sometimes God wants us to do things that we don't feel really comfortable doing. So in Damascus, in verse 10, there was a disciple named Ananias. I like him. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. He's a student of Christ. You know, he's pursuing God with all of his heart and all of his mind and his soul. You know, he's willing to, you know. I mean, he could very likely have been one of those people who moved from Jerusalem into, into a different area. Now here he finds himself in Damascus, like how Philip found himself in Samaria. Possibly. I don't know. So travel in a boot. You know, there are people all over the place. Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. You know, and he answered, yes, Lord. Which is the only right thing to say when God calls you, right? Yes, Lord. What do you want? What can I do for you, God? And so the Lord told him, go to this house or go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, or a tar- man from Tarsus named Saul. Saul, Saul from Tarsus, for he is praying. So imagine what's going on in his head. Wait, I think th- he's kind of waiting in Damascus. Maybe the rumor got out that persecution's heading its way. And now persecution is there, but it's praying and waiting for me to come to it. What? Hold on a second. So in a vision, this is Jesus. This is God talking to, to, to Ananias. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Okay, so my enemy is blind and I'm going to go heal him. Maybe we shouldn't do this, God. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we should just keep him blind because he's a lot safer to us. When he's blind and useless. But then, but, and this is Ananias' argument here. Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. By the way, God, in case you haven't seen or heard, there's many things said about this man. That he has done harm. And all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And has come here with authority. So again, the rumors come out. He's coming there with authority for the chief priests to arrest all who call in the name of the Lord. Okay, are you sure about this, God? I mean, come on. This is our opportunity to get a win. You know, I mean, let him just hang out and be blind for as long as he has to. Let's just praise your name and do church and tell people about Jesus in peace without his, you know, persecution, his trouble. Come on, God, what are you thinking? But God's response is this. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go to this man. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. So you see, yeah, you're doing your job, but he's got a job as well. He's got a calling. He's in disobedience right now, but he's going to change. That's what happens. God changes lives. And I need this man to be changed. I need this man to be healed because I'm going to use him to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. So right now we see a lot of activity in, in Jerusalem and in, in the area, the nation of Israel. But, 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 but he's going to start going far out into Asia, Asia Minor, Rome, and all the different places. He's going to go up north and north and, and west. You know, he's going to go out and, and preach to Gentiles, the other people who need the gospel as well, and their kings and whatnot. And to the people of Israel as well, by the way, P.S. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now that is interesting to me. That's why I underlined it, I bolded it, if you can see the bold on the screen. Okay, there has always been a misconception, historically, as far as I believe man has existed, man has been able to communicate and practice some kind of religion and culture, society. And that is, their idea is that if you obey God, you're going to have good things happen to you, only. That's a misconception, okay, guys? 
I love God, so he's going to bless me. You know, I'm going to convert, I'm going to give my life to God so everything will be great. That's kind of naive, okay, guys? If you look at the scriptures, first of all, all the prophets were persecuted and killed. Jesus was persecuted and killed. Jesus said, your disciples, my disciples, you're going to be like me. They hate me, they're going to hate you. But blessed are the persecuted. So there's a, a blessing in the persecution. Okay, but the reality is, Jesus, the Bible isn't, isn't ever teach that if you follow God, everything's going to be all right. It never does teach that. It teaches quite the opposite, that there's going to be trials and tribulations. But we have God, and we have his sovereign blessings upon our lives. Sometimes it comes in a way of protection. Sometimes it comes in a way of the cross, death even. But yet we have the hope of eternal life. We have the blessings of God that outreaches the temporal life that we live in in this moment. So Peter, by the way, yeah, you're going to die too, just like me. I mean, that was his promise to Peter before he went to the cross. And then here we have Saul. Oh, by the way, yeah, you know what? This is great news. He's going to suffer for my name. Isn't that great news? I mean, think about that. Imagine if your conversion was, was surrounded by the circumstances you're going to suffer greatly for the name of Jesus Christ. You might think twice about it, especially in this consumerist society we live in. Yeah, I'm going to go try Muhammad for a little bit. Just, just put, a, put, a, put, a, put a hold on this, okay? I'm going to try something different. Gonna, I, like the, I like the peaceful Buddhists. So I'm going to do some Buddhism maybe. Then I'll come back to you, Jesus. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to be converted if I'm going to be promised to be suffering in your name. That seems odd to me. You know, I mean, come on. That's probably why this room isn't full of people is because I don't want to be promised to be suffered, persecuted for your name. That's not pleasant. But there it is, guys. So then verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Again, I just have to point out the obvious. He obeyed. He didn't argue with God. He didn't procrastinate it. He did it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you're coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Next slide. So we have a change. A change in Saul. You can call it a conversion. You can call it a Damascus Road experience, because <laughs> it was. But a change, a radical change happened in Saul's life. A complete 180. We talk about repentance being a 180. Here we have a repentant man. He changed 180. And so now I want to look at these scriptures. We've touched on some of these scriptures already. But I want to look at them again in, in its full context and see how he's changed. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says this about himself. For I am the least of the apostles. And John even deserved to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace to me, or, and his grace to me was not without effect. So God's great grace changed Paul's life in an amazing way. He didn't deserve it, as he says here. In fact, he's so hard on himself he sees himself as being the least of the apostles. Those guys, those apostles right there who hung out with Jesus in his earthly ministry, they're awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy of tying their shoes, you know, because I was just an idiot back then. But, you know, God's very graceful and he changed me. And that's, I'm totally glad about that. Again, there was, it was an, an effect. His grace has affected, has changed my life. Galatians 1, God 
who set me apart from my mother's womb. Again, this isn't bragging about him being like, you know, the, you know, an amazing, you know, Jewish boy learning, you know, the religion of Judaism, you know, and being astute and ahead of his peers or whatnot. But yet God has, has set me apart from my mother's womb and called me. Speaking of my genealogy in my mother's womb, by God's grace, even then God had a plan for me. He, you know, he, he, so again, from my mother's womb and call me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. A changed life. Again, he used to be full of zeal, zeal or he was zealous and he was proud and full of confidence. But yet, if you go on to Philippians 3, 7, it says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever he gained in his knowledge and his wisdom and his education and his, you know, you know, whatever he worked really, 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 really hard and was really, really successful with, he counts it as loss for the sake of having Christ. Christ is the ultimate, utter, important thing for Paul or Saul here. We'll be known as Paul eventually. <laughs> 